Welcome to the Client Experience Revolution Podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and this is episode 13, Self-Care So You Can Care for Others. I am proud and excited to have our guest today, Dr. Jerika Dodd, a pharmacist especial. She is a public speaker and an all-around amazing human being. Welcome, Jerika. Thank you so much, Raya. It's my pleasure to be with you today. Well, we met each other at the Superwoman Summit where you were a featured speaker and I was blown away, number one, by your talk, but also we made a connection in the lobby and I was just like, oh, she's like one of the people I want in my circle. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on here. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll just dive into the meat of your message that you have to share today? Sure. As Raya said, my name is Jerika Dodd, and I'm a pharmacist of 21 years, and I have had an interesting journey um, for all of those 21 years that I've been a pharmacist, but probably the last four to five years have been uh, some of the most interesting years in that I learned a life lesson that I would say has taken me a lifetime to learn, but I speak often about prioritizing ourselves. So in this generation, in this world we live in now, oftentimes the word self-care and vacation and all types of buzzwords I say come up. But what I've learned is that it's so important to not make our self-care like this little entity that's over to the side, vacation kind of over to the side after we've been pushed to our limits in life, but to live such that we prioritize ourselves first so that we have more to give and share with the world and, and the clients and the patients and the people that we serve, including our family, our loved ones, and our friends. And so I started learning that lesson several years ago when my parents who are beginning to age started to experience some health challenges in and needed me and my support for them. My father was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma. My mother, five months later, had triple bypass surgery, after which she came out of that surgery with what seemed to be a dementia that lasted for almost two years. And then five short months after my mother's surgery, I had to have brain surgery. And what I began doing with the first diagnosis, which was for my father, and then subsequently my mother, and then, you know, my my own surgery was I became an advocate. I don't know that it was really my intention to become an advocate, but being the healthcare person in my family, it was just natural that I almost kind of put the daughter piece to the side and and I went to work being an advocate for both of my parents because what I realized was that they couldn't advocate for themselves. Well, as I was doing that and advocating for my parents, I would say that as I'd done for the majority of my life, I was was not prioritizing taking care of me. Oftentimes when something's right before us and we begin, you know, focusing on it, become an advocate for it, the care of ourselves can definitely go by the wayside. And so, but what I realized was that this was more than just an episodic non-prioritization of myself. This is something that I'd been doing all of my life. I actually remember my father saying to me at the tender age of eight years old, it is not your job to make everyone happy. And so what I realized in experiencing all that I was experiencing in the more recent years in caring for my parents was that 
I did that in all areas of my life. I cared for everyone because I thought it was my job to make them happy at the expense of my happiness. And I found myself helping to make or, or work with other people to make their wants, wishes, dreams, and desires come true. But I don't know that I was aware of what my wants, wishes, dreams, and desires were because I just thought that if I helped make everyone else happy, then I would be happy. So you can imagine why as a caregiver, and an advocate for my parents in their time of illness, it just naturally all synced together because that's what I did anyway. Whether it was as a daughter, whether it was as a an employee, whether it was as a church member or civic group member, whatever it was that I took on to do, I wanted to make sure that everyone was cared for and happy. This is, first of all, so relevant for so many people, but also... Well, number one, I'm a super people pleaser. So that brings me so much joy to like give to others. At Christmas time, I get more joy out of finding the perfect gift than anything that I receive. So I relate on so many levels. But also, I have been the person, my history in administrative management has largely been in healthcare. And so I'm the healthcare go-to as well. And there's been some pretty huge family health events in the last, you know, three to five years in our extended family. And so I can relate on so many levels where you just step into that role. It's almost like you shut off anything personal and you just go to town with advocating because they don't have the same vernacular. They don't have the same level of understanding. But you're right. I mean, I just think that you can pour so much into other people that you lose track of what you need yourself. And you just expect that that joy is going to come from the fulfillment of taking care of everybody else, but it can really, you know, take its toll. I just wanted to like jump in and say, dang, I get you girl. <laughs> like that has been my experience for sure. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I call it a chronic illness, and that's definitely going to be, you know, as I move forward, uh, the platform that I continue sharing with people is I had that chronic illness of pleasing everyone else, of putting myself second or last or, you know, not even on the list to the point that when I finally, I mean, prior to my brain surgery, I actually had symptoms, all, all kinds of symptoms from, you know, A to Z, if you were to, you know, Google the condition that I had, you really should see like a picture of me right next to the list of all the symptoms because I think I had the majority of them. And it wasn't so straightforward that someone could hear that list of symptoms and, and say, oh, this is the problem. So I had symptoms for about 13 years. And it's amazing because I am a healthcare professional, but I was so focused on my job, on my parents, on the church, on you know my parents specifically with regard to their health, anything else that I was doing, I was so focused on those things that for 13 years, I had symptoms that ranged from urinary incontinence. Uh, if you can imagine, I used to travel for work. So always being on an airplane and urinary incontinence, those don't really go well together. And so then, you know, I had a period where I fainted and, you know, because I fell so hard, I was in motion when I walk, was walking, I fainted and got a carpet burn under my eye because that was the place of impact. So all these crazy things were happening. And it wasn't until, you know, I was going to the doctor, but I don't know that I was really getting uh, results that I needed in my health to get down to the bottom of what was going on. So 
in that journey, in those 13 years, I stopped towards the, the end of those 13 years and said, I have got to get a handle on things because, you know, and I still don't think I realized that I was putting everyone else first, but I just knew that I had all of these, you know, vast range of symptoms that I needed to get my hands around and someone had to be able to help me because I'm going from doctor to doctor to doctor, but almost like in a daze because I was so focused on everybody else that, yeah, I was showing up for doctor's appointments, but I don't know that I was really having very pointed conversations to say, hey, doctor, let's think about this. Let's talk about this. Let's get to the bottom of this. It was just kind of like, yeah, I'm having this problem and I show up. Yeah, I'm having that problem and I show up. And so it wasn't until probably about the year 2015, because I had a surgery in 2016, 2015, that I was like, okay, I've got to get things under control because this is crazy. So I started looking at the doctors that were managing my health, if you will, and realized that I needed to make some changes on my personal health care team because we weren't getting to the answer. We were putting band-aids on, you know, all the symptoms that I was having. And so finally, I got myself into the Johns Hopkins healthcare system, got some second opinions, got back to Atlanta and started, you know, finding physicians that could really help me and landed in neurosurgeon's office, if you will. And I remember him taking one look at my MRI and it did not take him very long before he walked back in that room and said, you need brain surgery. And because I was so programmed to take care of everyone else, the thoughts that ran through my mind were, well, I can't do that. I don't have time. I mean, he didn't say we just need to operate, you know, on your little pinky nail. He said, you need brain surgery. And literally I began to contend with myself. I thought I was having a, uh, a, a uh, informed conversation with him about what my options were. But really, I was contending with myself because never had I thought to put myself first, to put everything else that was on my plate aside and take care of me and my health so that I could continue going. And I remember having that conversation with the neurosurgeon and he says, you need brain surgery. And I immediately retorted, well, what happens if I don't do it? And he says, well, very matter of factly, you'll be paralyzed. You know, you would think that that would definitely be enough for me to say, okay, you know, I give, let's do this. But I still couldn't wrap my head, my mind around taking care of me and you know, what was going to happen? My mother was in the midst of this dementia that resulted as a, you know, from her surgery. My father was going through chemotherapy. Like what was going to happen, you know, to them? I even thought about the fact that I'd have to do, be on short-term disability. So I wouldn't be able to make the monetary contribution to my church and my time and service contributing to the church. I wouldn't be able to do that at, for a while. And so all of these things were, I had just gotten a new job and surely they weren't going to be happy if I came and said, hey, I got to have brain surgery. I need to be off for eight weeks. You know, and so all of those things were running through my head. And not once did I think about, I really need this and I need to take care of myself. I said to the neurosurgeon, well, how long do I have? I've been suggested that I should write a book and that should be the title. How long do I have? Because I literally was asking him, how long do I have until I'll be paralyzed? And I think if he had said, you'll be paralyzed on September 1st, if he'd had a crystal ball and he could say that, you'll be paralyzed on September 1st, then I would have said, okay, let's schedule the surgery for August 31st. Like I was really willing to push it that far because of all of the things that I was considering and putting before taking care of my health. And, you know, he just looked at me. He probably thought that I had 
you know, proverbially, you know, lost my mind because I was still trying to bargain with when we could get this scheduled. So I'm talking to him in March of that year. And I say to him, well, maybe we could do this in August when my company has company shut down for a week in August. Maybe that'll be a good time to have it. And he just looked at me and he says, well, I can't tell you how long you can make it. He says, you've obviously made it, you know, a long time, all of your life practically, but I can't tell you how much longer you can go before you could be paralyzed. He's like, I have no idea of saying, of giving you that information. And so I came to my senses and I had the surgery. It all worked out. Fast forward. I got through that part. I actually ended up having to have a second surgery and got through all of that. And I really went back because it's amazing. We humans have amnesia. I went back to my old ways, if you would, taking care of everybody else, taking care of putting and making sure that they were first and then put me and my health on the back burner again. And it wasn't long before my health started calling again. It wasn't necessarily in the form of my health calling because I needed to have any more surgery, but my health started calling again in the way that I began to fall asleep when I was driving, very dangerous, wasn't sleeping at night. And if I did happen to fall asleep, I would wake up in the midst of a panic attack. And that's really a frightening way to awaken if you happen to fall asleep. And so my health was trying to get my attention again to basically say, I've gone back to the life that I knew prior to having brain surgery and putting everyone and everything else first. And I had to make some really hard decisions. Do you find that when you're speaking to other women that they experience similar things, even if they might not have the same medical condition, but that they describe that they may have some type of event in their life that gives them a wake up call, but then they are once that has resolved that they slide right back into those habits? Because I do. I, I feel like that's definitely been my experience. Yes. And, and that's why I say I think humans, we have an amazing amount of amnesia and we don't even realize it because when something becomes urgent, we may turn our sights and give our attention to it. But as soon as it's over, instead of thinking, you know, what was that experience? What was I to learn from that experience? We go right back to what's comfortable, what is autopilot and what we're used to. And I have spoken with you know many women around the country as I travel and I you know speak on stages and women pull me aside even at that conference where we met the superwoman summit women pulled me aside after I got off the stage and said I can so relate to that story. No, they don't have a story of, you know, having to have brain surgery or what have you, but I can so relate because I didn't put myself first and this is what happened or I don't put myself first. And I remember meeting a woman at a luncheon one day who sat next to me and I was explaining to her, you know, what I do and, and my own personal story. And she said to me, you know, you are so right. And that message is going to resonate with women. And I would pause and say that the message I think definitely resonates with women, but I think it can resonate with men as well. If they find themselves putting everyone before their own health and they're in prioritizing themselves. But this woman said to me, you are so right. I need to have gynecological surgery, but I've been putting it off because I'm going to wait until my son goes off to college. 
And she said, and you know, that really doesn't make any sense. There's no reason why I can't have the surgery before he goes off to college. But that's just kind of the milestone I've given myself is that when he goes off to college, then I'll take care of myself. And so I remember her saying, you have an amazing message and it, it resonates with many, many women because I think it's natural. I think sometimes it's expected that we put everyone and everything and every initiative and everyone else's requirements or desires before taking care of us. Well, I think there's an added layer too. I mean, I think as women, we put a lot of pressure familially, but as business owners, it takes it to the next level. Right. Right. I mean, I think there's a level of trust that things will still keep trucking along and rolling if we pull ourselves offline. And then, you know, we're worried that, you know, about our employees, we're worried about, you know, the bottom line. If we take ourselves out of the business for a certain period of time, you know, will we still have a business when we come back? And the bottom line is if you don't, take yourself offline, then it's a hundred percent chance that you won't have a business. Right. (laughs) Because at some point something's got to give and I'm preaching to myself here. Like I'm having my own revelations because this is definitely something, you know, I'm working, you know, just to be honest and completely vulnerable here. I'm working at a level that's completely unsustainable right now. Like, Mm -hmm. and so even within the last few days, I went on a business trip that was also personal. And I really had a moment with myself where I was like, this is not going to be a sustainable way of life. So I'm currently in this moment, like this morning, looking at ways that I can put myself on the calendar, you know, and put my family on the calendar, not to like just take care of them, but just to connect on a deep and more intimate level, because that's the bottom line, right? You know, like the the risk if we do is that we will have hiccups and, or it could, I mean, the worst case scenario is that it would derail everything. Mm -hmm. The risk if we don't is that a hundred percent at some point, everything is going to come to a crashing halt. A hundred percent. And so, you know, I think what that woman said is correct. I think that we rationalize a lot of things, but there's that added layer of pressure when you are a business owner that you have this responsibility on a personal, professional and fiscal level to other people that you use that as the rationalization not to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. but you're actually risking it all when you don't. You know, you can judge other people. Like when you said that out loud about that woman, I was just thinking, well, that's just ridiculous. But I'm doing the exact same thing, (laughs) not in that situation with the surgery, but, you know, in in other areas, you know, like you can see it in other people, but sometimes it's so hard to see in yourself. Right. When I talk to, uh, I coach women pharmacists and when I'm talking to my coaching clients, one of the things that I share with them is that I think that we have the way we approach our lives may be a little distorted in that we're taught to go to school, get a good job, and then, you know, have a good salary. And out of that, try to form and fashion the life that you want. And so that's where I think we try, that's where we're trying to squeeze out vacations. We're trying to schedule self-care. And what I 
espouse is that, you know, just like Stephen Covey said in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is we need to begin with the end in mind. So I say that we need to start at the end of that process and decide what we want our life to look like. I want, you know, this much time to, you know, take care of myself, this time to spend with family. This is what I want life to look like. And then reverse engineer how we work to have the life that we want versus going the other direction where we, you know, arrive and we check off a box and we reach this goal. And now we've got this business, we've got this career, and now I'm going to try to fashion the life that I think I want from that. I really think that we should go the other direction because, you know, we spoke just before we started recording and we were talking about my travels and I've been asked several times, was it business or was it pleasure? And my answer is always both because I'm just living my life. I I've decided that the life that I used to live where I could check off many boxes and say I was successful, definitely successful, you know, in my career, successful also, unfortunately, at making everybody else happy and advocating and taking care of everyone else. However, was I really successful because there was almost nothing left of me to the point that I didn't even want to lie down on the surgical table to have brain surgery? That's not living. Now that I have had you know, these experiences. And obviously, I still support my parents and still, you know, offer the care to them as much as I can. But I have to be taken care of first so that I have something to even give. So when it comes to travel and things like that, it's business and pleasure because I just consider it living life. It's not vacation because I believe that we have to build a life from which we don't have to take a vacation. So that if you happen to be traveling, that just happens to be what you're doing in life right now. That balance is a word that eludes us quite a bit. But I think that approaching life from that perspective, putting yourself as the priority, because even if you have children, if you are no good and you don't have anything to give, then you know what is it that you can even give to your children or your spouse or your aging parents or, or what have you? I think it's so important to kind of reverse engineer and look at what you want life to look like and go from there. I think that is a really interesting concept too, because we have a lot of guilt from not being able to segregate and compartmentalize. And I think that there is a case to be made and what I'm currently working on is more like blocking out my schedule to be able to be more efficient. But there's also something really beautiful in saying it's okay to allow them to blend and blur the lines a little bit because that's what's happening in your head anyways, you know? And so when you're passionate about your business, that's going to be in your mind at all times. And then we feel guilty that that shouldn't be on my mind in this moment because I'm in this compartment of my life. Right. And then when you're at work and you've got personal things going on, then you have guilt because you shouldn't be thinking about personal things. You should be in work mode. Mm -hmm. And so this holistic approach of just allowing them, not allowing them to derail you and not be focused, but just to say like, my life is my life and it is work and pleasure. Right. It is work and personal. And being able to do that in a way that is allowing them to blend and having it be okay. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Where you're enjoying both aspects, I think it could really alleviate a lot of the guilt that we feel for not being able to appropriately compartmentalize. We, especially as women, 
our brains do not work in the walk into one room and close the door behind us and then walk into another room and close the door. I've heard the expression, we're standing in a great room with all of the doors wide open. Yes. Like (laughs) that is how our brain works. Mm -hmm. And so instead of feeling guilty for not being linear in our thinking, what you're saying as I'm hearing it is be on vacation and as work occurs, enjoy it take care of it and resume your vacation, like, and be at work. And as personal comes up, take care of the personal and then resume your work and don't feel the guilt about it. Your life is your life as it occurs. And then instead of saying balance, I'm leaning towards the word holistic. I even hesitate to use the word vacation because I think what that means is that we have this time marked on our calendar. We count down the days until that time comes. We prepare, we try to get everything done you know, before we leave. Okay, finally, we made it. The bags are packed. We're going on vacation. And then while we're there, we're trying to de-stress and trying to you know, turn around everything that has been done, you know, that we've experienced by not taking care of ourselves all along, such that we have this vacation, we come back from vacation, and then we dread going back to whatever our norm is, because, oh my gosh, you know, I've got to get up, I've got to go to work tomorrow. And I advocate for building the life that you want, so that you don't need vacation. If you're traveling, you're able to take care of work. When you take care of work, you're able to have fun and and live your life as well, such that it's really not even a vacation anymore. It just happens to be what you're doing in your life. I love that. It's very empowering. There's been a lot of travel for me lately. I mean, it's always a bonus when you get to have the travel write-off for something that you're having fun at, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's like the ultimate coupon, right? Right. <laughs> a tax deduction for a work trip, but still have fun. It's right. almost like you're not allowed to have that. But you and I, I think are both the kind of people where we make friends everywhere and we make home everywhere. And I think it's exciting to be able to say like, I'm going on a work trip, but also know that you're going on a friend trip and you're going on an adventure trip and you're going on a learn new things trip and meet new right. people trip. And it's all part of life. As opposed to a drudgery. And then like you're saying, the flip side of that, where you are going on a vacation, you know, you're going on a personal trip where you may meet people who could change your business and open doors for you professionally in a way that you never thought possible. And so by shutting these corners of our lives off, we're actually depriving ourselves of opportunity for joy. Mm -hmm. Especially, I always say, if you didn't go into business necessarily to make money, you went into business to solve a problem about something that you're passionate about. And money is something that we all desire, but we ultimately should go in with the mission of serving. And so being able to do that authentically in all corners of our life is exciting, you know, and I think a really important perspective. Yes, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, as I was saying, when you begin with the end in mind and think about what you want life to look like. I think that we have the most say and the most power in creating what we want life to look like. And I just did a social media post this morning to the group of women pharmacists that I 
I speak to and talking about like complaining. And I said, what are you complaining about? Is it your life? Is it your job? Is it your business? Is it your spouse, your children, your health, your friends? And whatever it is that you potentially are complaining about, stop and think about the time and the energy that you're putting into that versus the time and energy that you can put into changing it to be what you want it to be. And so I think it's so important to pause. And especially when we know I'm not taking care of myself, I'm not giving you know the best that I can give because I'm just barely making and I'm running on fumes. That's when I think it's so important to stop and go, wait a minute, what could help this be better? What could help me be better? What do I need in order to be able to function? How much sleep do I need? How much water do I need? How much food do I need in order to be able to, how much time of just relaxing and just sitting still do I need in order to give the best of who I am to the world? I think it's it's paramount that we do that. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, being a pharmacist at the beginning of the podcast. And the other part of what I do is I have a pharmacy consulting practice where every patient can have their own personal pharmacist. And one of the things that I see often is patients with chronic illness. And granted, you know, chronic illness in the form of however it shows up, be it autoimmune, be it cardiovascular, be it, you know, whatever it is, chronic illness, I think comes quite a bit from the stresses that we endure in life, not putting ourselves first, not eating well, not exercising, not getting adequate rest, not getting adequate uh, hydration. All of these things start to fall by the wayside when we're not taking care of ourselves. And so then that's when I end up seeing clients with chronic illness and going, how do I fix this? How do I get relief? How, you know, because the body will definitely tell you what's wrong. Oftentimes we ignore it and we don't listen. If you think to, you know, the story that I was sharing with you about myself and that for 13 years I had all these symptoms. Well, I, the body was telling me something's wrong. I don't like, you know, something's not right. However, I just kept going and going and going. And I thought that I was addressing it by showing up in a doctor's office saying, Hey, I have this problem, but not really getting to the root cause. And as I have been on this journey and understand how much stress can play a part in chronic illness, there again is that word chronic illness, which plagues quite a few people in our country and not just a few, many people in our country today. And then we end up looking for the magic pill or the magic relief that is going to you know, take care of this ill that we've basically created because we didn't put ourselves first in the first place. Thank you so much for joining us for the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Raya Gonzalez, and this has been episode 13 with the fabulous Dr. Jerika Dodd. Please join us as we continue this conversation in part two on episode 14, which will be released at the same time, so you will have no problems with immediate gratification. Please also join us on social media. You can reach us on Instagram at our handle admin prestige plus. We have a client experience revolution Facebook group that you are welcome to join us on. And please find us on all major social profiles under my name, Raya Gonzalez and under admin prestige. Thank you so much. And we will look forward to continuing this conversation in episode 14.